Set yourself a New Year goal, they said. It'll be fun. <sighs> Perhaps swimming in the Irish Sea wasn't such a good idea. Set a more achievable goal, like taking control of your finances with personalised money insights in the Bank of Ireland app. It'll help keep track of your spending, like changes to bills, or you might have too many subscriptions. See your tailored money insights, because your financial well-being is our priority. Bank of Ireland. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Terms and conditions apply. Great. There goes my towel. The Left Wing, brought to you by Bank of Ireland, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Never stop competing. This is an Irish independent podcast. We don't get too far ahead of ourselves. They had a goal kicking out half. They probably win the test match. Certainly win the test match, actually. And then in the Lions story, just like he turned into Donald Trump. The director of rugby for South Africa should be better than some fella on Twitter. Like Ireland's autumn campaign kicked off with a bang last Saturday as Andy Files World Number Ones took down the world champion Springboks at the Aviva Stadium. And on tonight's episode of The Left Wing, we will be dissecting the victory and discussing its potential significance as Ireland look to continue their winning run against Fiji this coming weekend. I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Rory O'Connor on tonight's show. And Luke, last week I asked you before the game if there'd be a big psychological impact if Ireland were to beat South Africa or or even lose looking ahead to the World Cup next year. And you said you kind of preferred to look at it as a learning opportunity for the team, you know, kind of parking the result now as good as it was and seeing how the game unfolded over those 80 minutes. What do you think Andy Farrell and the coaching staff can learn from that game? Oh, huge amount. Um, you know, and I think we'll get better. You know, I mean, injuries permitting, um, you know, you probably have one or two. But like, if you think who comes back into that Irish pack, I think they really bolster our, our, our particularly in the pack, they bolster our, our bench, you know, very much so. You think of Henderson and, and Kelleher at the forefront of my mind, um, you know, who are, who are missing kind of key enough guys. You know, they might, they might, they could easily be starting in an Irish team, but certainly they'd be in at 23. Uh, and I thought, you know, I, I thought, thought they really coped well. I thought the Irish pack coped. Like, look, I was extremely worried coming in at half time. I just thought we were hanging on. Uh, and I thought, you know, a kind of moment of brilliance and look, a poor defensive read through, um, you know, from, from a, I don't know who the South African player was at the time for Gibson Parks, Parks break. I think it was Dale Anda. Um, but, you know, I, I, I thought they did brilliantly to hang in there. And then when they got their opportunities, they took them really, really well. Uh, in terms of the learning, I think we get better based on those guys you might add back into the squad. Well, I think, and you think of the backs that were missing, you know, you've got Henshaw. Tom McCluskey was excellent, but you got Henshaw, Aki uh, coming back in, um, you know, Earls, Conway, all these guys. So, look, I, I think it was a really, I thought it was a brilliant performance by them first and foremost. And I was really pleased with them. And I think they will get stronger from that on, based on the personnel. But I also think they'll have learned that they can last with the South African guys in terms of that intensity, that um, that physicality that they brought to the game. Because I don't remember a first half um, being as physical as that. Maybe the Lions test in, in 2009, probably. Uh, the second test that I played in, maybe that was pretty 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 savage test match but um i don't remember too many other test matches as physical as that first half well i thought it was a it was brilliant it was absolutely brutal stuff um and if for you know if you i know there was no no real tries in it but i think you know for someone who loves rugby and who loves the physicality of it i think it was a brilliant spectacle and i thought the irish team held up brilliantly brilliantly well yeah roadhouse significant is the psychological boost for the Irish pack of dealing with South Africa in the way that they did, like especially you know, around the mall, you know, kind of holding them out there. That's a real strong suit for them. Like, do you think it's a massive kind of staging post en route to a successful World Cup to be able to live with the pack? Because I think you called it like the ultimate test leading into the game. 
yeah, kind of shuts me up anyway because it's the kind of thing I've been banging on about for the last uh, two years. And I had a reason. I think there was good reason for it. I think the those Leinster defeats the Saracens, Munsters losses the Saracens going back a few couple of years. The La Rochelle lost last year, and the way Ireland were beaten in Paris and the way they struggled in the scrum over in Twickenham despite winning the game all led me to believe that when they came up against the power base pack, they could struggle. And look, I think if Luke wanted to out me, I, I was fairly pessimistic at halftime. We were texting each other and it wasn't looking yeah. good from my perspective. <laughs> I was too. I, I was, was like, it's only, I, I thought it was only a matter of time. And, and I think, mm. uh, you know, I, that that is credit to this group of forwards. And look, it's 1-15 to 15 really. Like physicality doesn't stop at eight. You know, like they're, they're, they all fronted up, whether it's Gibson Park, getting you know getting low mood but clinging on you know like he, he, he was a quagat smith ran over him but he just did enough to bring him down murray had a big one in the first half everyone contributed across the board but those forwards the the ferocity with which south africa attacked in the first 10 15 minutes there was nothing well sorry there was one moment actually I, if, if this was a south african podcast you'd be just raging about the lack of nuance and subtlety to their attack because if they just if they just tacked on one pass here or there they could be such a great team there was one time in that, that 17 phases in the first uh 10 minutes where peter steph to talk just a simple tip on pass i think it was to Jaden hendrickson and then he picked and go he picked and went from the next rook and they nearly scored from it and all it took was one extra pass but they're so determined to run over you they're so determined to do to determined to do you physically that they almost ran aground themselves and that was because ireland defended really really well and fronted up in nearly like I know they missed I think about twenty odd tackles, but they fronted up time and time again. They defended brilliant the line at Mall and their scrum, while not perfect, and and different referee might have seen some of those decisions a different way. They certainly didn't go backwards very often. I think there was one where the, the uh, Ambanambi and Nietzsche came on and they they absolutely beasted one scrum. Other than that, there was they didn't get much change out of Ireland, and their defensive line out as well was very good, apart from the one where they went early. So. They uh, they earned themselves some credit. They earned themselves the benefit of the doubt going into the next round of fixtures. And they, you know, there's two two games to go in this window. They, they play Wales away, and then they they got France at home. And that's the next time they come up against a team with this athletic profile. Albeit Australia can bring Will Skelton in, into the mix in two weeks' time if they want, and that'll be another great test. And this is what it's all about: passing these tests and showing everyone that you can do it. And, and they, they'll draw great confidence from it. And like. I asked James Ryan about it on Thursday. He did a group interview with a couple of us and he kind of said, I'm not here to answer media narratives about what kind of team we are. That was kind of what he said. And I think they're aware of it, but they won't get much of it anymore. I think they've answered their critics to now and right now they're able to stand up to it. And and that gives you more confidence going into, uh, you know, next year's Six Nations, next year's World Cup and and all of that as well. So it it was a really good day for them. You can't bank on it. You know, South Africa could still... Any team can still bring a level of physicality on a day and, and, and win it. You've got to do it again the next time, I suppose. You can't rely on that now to go and do it next time. But it gives you a bit more confidence in them that they can do it across 80 minutes. Yeah, and I agree with what both of you are saying, Luke. But I suppose if you are, say, of Rudd's point, if this was a South African podcast, like if they pick an out half who can kick goals, who doesn't kind of play the position of out half in such a poor way on the day... If, as Rudd said, they take one or two different options, do they not leave Dublin potentially winning seven-point winners like and, and laying in a real marker if one or two small things go their, their way? Like, the out-half thing in particular. Like, I know what you're saying, that the pack did front up, but at the same time, South Africa did get a lot of change, and I do feel like that, like, the goal kicks they missed, I know Sexton missed two on the touchline, but they were very straightforward as well. I, I do feel like that, potentially, like, South Africa could have won that game pretty easily as well. 
Yeah, look, look, I think it was still like so. I had it in my mind, no matter what you were going to say, that I was going <laughs> that I was going to be going down this route as well. So I'm glad you brought me down there because I think it's very important to state that we don't get too far ahead of ourselves. Like if they had a, a goal kicking out half, um, you know, they probably win the test match. Um, I'm nearly certainly win the test match actually. Um, now what I would say is I think Ireland actually have. There, there's space for Ireland to improve. I'll go back to, this, to the South Africans in a second, but just in terms of Ireland, I think they got caught doing the same kind of stuff as, as Leinster got caught uh, doing against La Rochelle, whereby you have to overcommit because of the physicality in the tight exchanges. So they, they ended up with less numbers to, to play. But what they also didn't do, Will, you've heard me going on about this kind of attacking shape that Leinster and Ireland have been employing, whereby they, the passes aren't as long and the guys are more hidden. They're kind of more tucked. So you you might have, you know, say, if you could think of the game, there was lots of passes, say, to McCluskey or to the first centre with Sexton running out the back. You know that shape. And then they have the, the runner outside, say, McCluskey or whoever's the, the first receiver uh, coming short with Sexton out the back. And it happens with the forward pods all the time too, right? What I saw against La Rochelle and against South Africa was that the guys were, the, those passes to them, to, to the pods or to the guy who's taken up initially, they were way wider. So it meant that the, the South African line speed had loads of time to get up and get in Ireland's face. And I also felt that the the, the guy who was receiving the ball at the back, Sexton generally, actually, a lot of the time, I thought, but other guys too, um, they weren't as tight as they have been. They were ended up being wider, so they were almost straight behind that short runner. I thought it made it really easy for, and they were flatter, sorry, as well. I thought it made it really easy for the South African Lions just to get up and in their face and, and cut them off. Um, and I felt like that was a big problem for them all day. And I think that's kind of a problem that, that Leinster have kind of reverted to when they've been under pressure against like high-press defences. And when their pack isn't picking the other the other pack apart in the tight exchanges, they might be going backwards or they might have they might not get quick rook ball. So that's something that I think they can improve with. I think if they do that, I think if they look back at that match as a backs unit, they will think that there is loads of room for improvement in that area. And I actually think they'll be able to pick apart more holes um, against South Africa in the future, having looked at that, if they can remain calm and deliver on those things there. Um, so I thought that was a real area where they can improve. And I actually think we saw parts of it in the tries. Like if you think about where, so obviously there's a little bit of luck involved. I'm sure we cover Erasmus's reaction to it. But if you look at, at the kind of the way... Um, Gibson Park goes through the hole um, for, for that. If you look at where he comes from and where the South African defender is, right, he comes – so obviously there's a kind of a tip-on pass to – I think it's Porter, and Porter passes it back out to Jameson Gibson Park, yes? And Deland or whoever the South African uh, defender who's coming up very hard is, is very wide. Now – Gibson Park takes it in tight, if you if you remember, quite in tight. It's really hard for the defender to come all the way, and he ends up in no man's land. I think they get that situation way more if they were if they're stuck in tighter, if the passes are a little bit uh, shorter and tighter. Uh, Sexton has been going on. Sexton opened my eyes to that in my last couple of years when I was playing with them. Um, and it was a real eye but I don't think they've been delivered on that. So that's an area where I think they get loads more pain. I actually think they can split that South African defence a lot more than they did. Um and that's something that I think they could really work on. The rest of the stuff, I think they can be really pleased about. I thought the forwards were, you know, look, they did go backwards at times, and there was times when you were kind of con- trying to contain South Africa. Um, I think you're always probably going to have that against them, particularly in the first half. Uh, and I actually thought they dealt with that very well. Now, look, South Africa had opportunities missed. I'm going to pass over probably to, to Rhodes. I'm sure you have a question for him on it. But, um, look, I think uh, they'll be disappointed. I actually thought they were trying to finish Ireland. I thought they played the right way. If I was South Africa, I probably wouldn't be throwing the passes. 
But I thought what they didn't do is they didn't go for the extra phase. I thought they were trying to kill Ireland with the massive breaks and the real physicality. Just one or two time, one or two, um, uh, one or two phases too early. I thought, and I thought that with lots of their game. I thought with their mall, they were setting it and trying to push Ireland too early. I thought with the scrum, even they were like it, they just looked like they were angst. They were real anxious to to make a physical marker on it. Where I thought if they were a little bit calmer. They can still deliver that physicality, but I thought they'd be probably a little bit more accurate, and I think they'd look way better leaving aside the goal-kicking issues. So that's just my take on what I thought of where, where the game would go in the future, maybe, the areas that teams would be looking at. Yeah, Rod, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I, look, I think South Africa got their selection wrong, and they've gone with Valencia again next week, and, and no discernible goal-kicker that I can see. If they've brought Vili de Roo back, back to full-back and um, brought Libak onto the bench, but you know maybe they're just it's a holding pattern until Andre Pollard is back. Um, and yes, if they had picked him, they would have got those you know at least some of those goals. I mean, didn't he miss loads of goal kicks in Twickenham last year? So it's not a given. But the, he had you know, a lot of kicks know, out, out to touch as well, didn't he? Like a lot. Yeah, of, he, had a, he had a bad day. Like, he, had a, he, had a had, day he had a really. Yeah. I mean, it, and, like you kind of admire the fact they've gone with him again because I, I was writing them off, but that's not Ireland's problem, I guess. You know, you, you come up against a team that's in front of you on the day, and you stand up to what they throw at you. You pick them off with two tries in, in four minutes, and then you keep them in Ireland's length for the rest of the game. And you think, you know, job well done. I don't think, like, I haven't, I've listened to a lot of stuff the last couple of days. I've read a lot of stuff. I, I haven't seen anyone getting carried away. I think everyone knows that if you put these two teams out next Saturday in a second test or, you know, in, in three months' time, it's going to be a kick of a ball again. And and I, I think, you know, in the World Cup, it's going to be like that too. I, you know, between Ireland, South Africa, France, hesitant to say England, but I think by the time the World Cup comes around, probably England, New Zealand, um, maybe Australia if they can get their act together a bit more. You've six teams there who on any given Sunday can beat each other, and that's going to be the pro- the problem with getting excited about Ireland is the World Cup has we're, you know, four of those six teams are on our side of the draw. So no matter what we do in this World Cup cycle, you're going to have to be France or New Zealand in the quarter final, presuming you can get over Scotland in the group. So I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that uh, if Valencia hadn't played and if they'd had Pollard, Ireland might have lost the game, like. That's that's just the nature of these big games against big oppositions. These games come down to very little, and and you end up writing the narrative once you've won the game. But um, you, that doesn't take away from the fact that they got an awful lot right on on Saturday, and can get better themselves. I think both teams will leave it. Like South Africa, like Razi Rasmus isn't going to Cork on Thursday night to coach against Munster, which was the plan. He went to Paris to try and fix what went wrong. So they're obviously a little bit worried about what happened, but they'll take an awful lot from that game. They've learned an awful lot about one of the best teams in the world. They threw a lot at them and came up just short away from home. Like Dublin's a bit of a fortress for Ireland as well, so that should be taken into account. And, you know, next year's in Paris, uh, I think it's a nine o'clock kickoff local time. Like that's going to be a different kettle of fish altogether. So the, the what you can read into this concerning next year is, 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 is very little because both teams will have evolved and changed and learned from it. But what we know is that when Ireland play against South Africa, New Zealand, France, England, I think it's you're you're talking kick of a ball stuff, and it's 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 grinding it out really. And Luke, I know there's still two matches left in the autumn, so I'm not trying to get too far ahead of things, but it's another autumn series before a World Cup where Ireland have taken a big scab, you know, won their most difficult game on paper. Like, what do you think this squad has that's different to maybe the squads in the past that achieved similar and then maybe didn't evolve or didn't get things right the following year? Like, what what makes you confident or what makes you? not confident if that's the case about about this squad 
I think they've got more good players, actually. I think there's a pretty deep squad. I think the, I like the, the pack. I think they've probably figured out um, figured out really how they want to play, I think. Uh, and, like, do you know what was very telling as well? We probably should mention. I, I thought, like, Gibson Park, like, the, the difference in the pace of the game. Um, I mean, it was massive. Now, I don't know whether that was because South Africa kind of, you know, softened up a little bit after that for, for 40 minutes in terms of the physicality they delivered, and he got, like, a lot better ball. But... God, I thought he made some difference. Like I, I, because I had picked Murray in my team. I thought, like this is a great okay, you know, hundred cap. I thought he actually was like he look, he did very well in very difficult circumstances. But, um, geez, I thought he was brilliant. But that's the way Ireland have to play. I think. Uh, I thought that was even more evident in the, in the second half, and that's probably why I mentioned uh, Gibson Park. So I think they know how to play. I think the coaching staff are settled. I think they're very confident. Um, I still think. And, it, and I don't think this is ever going to change with Ireland, even though I think, yes, I've said the squad is deeper in most positions. Still a lot of risk is always going to reside in one or two players, and particularly Sexton and probably Porter, I think. Um, you know, I think they make a huge, huge difference to this team. But I think in most other positions, we're actually in, in, in very good shape. I, I really feel like the back line, I'm, I mean, I, I thought McCluskey was super. Um, you know, because I was really worried with Henshaw gone, and I was really disappointed that he had to go off early. But geez, I saw enough out of McCluskey in a very difficult uh, game to to really be. You know, I, I think he looks like he's ready for international rugby now. Like he probably should be like way closer to to being in the mix. I thought he was brilliant. Like he looks so strong in the contact, and he wasn't trying to throw loose offloads and things like that. It looks like he's figured out how to play international rugby. Um and um yeah, so that that's why that, that's why will I think Ireland you know and, and <laughs> we've got good kickers. <laughs> I think it showed how important. Like that's still a real basic part of being you know of, of an international team. And I think Carberry is 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 a good enough kicker, and I think uh, Frawley is. But I think Byrne is even when you go down the line uh, in terms of goal kickers. So I think Ireland have all the all the, the kind of key ingredients um to. I think be a real threat, and they're good at. I think we're good at set piece. We're very solid at set piece. So like we can kind of mix it with, um, you know. I think we still will struggle against France and South Africa, and I think you saw saw that in the first half. And you know if they play to their full potential, but I think we can still mix it with them because we've got a strong. Well, like both of our our lineout and our scrum are still. I think they're very strong. They look like a very well coached team. So, um, I, you know, I think you know, look, you'd always be. We always reference maybe the past disappointments, but like I think. You know, I'd still rather be that team that's kind of consistent. I think the more consistent you are, the better chance you have of delivering on the big stage. One question, sorry, just to 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 tie that off, that I might ask the maybe the both of you. Um, I was thinking about it after after the match uh, last weekend. Would you play a full team against South Africa in the in the group stage, or would you just would you hedge and lump against Scotland and I think it's Tonga, isn't it? Um, and and make sure you qualify, but like because it doesn't really matter who you get in the other in the other uh, out of Group A. I looked at that thinking I'm not sure if Ireland can do two of those like two of those games. Say say you have South Africa and you get France. Well, I, I think like, there's I, one thing I've I've heard a few people talk about that. There's one thing right the, the way the World Cup works out is you play Romania, then Tonga, then South Africa back to back, and then you've got a two week gap to Scotland, like two Saturday weekend off Saturday, so you've time enough to recover. There's not, there's no concern. It's not like France in 2015, that game that took such an unbelievable toll. We, you know, and then seven day turnaround with Argentina having lost O'Connell, um, O'Brien, O'Mahony, Jared Payne had gone a couple of days before. And obviously Johnny dropped okay. out the day or two before the game. So that's, 
even if you do lose all those players, and one thing I would say about this team and this squad, I think they're more adaptable. Um, and it's a happier camp. I think it's a more relaxed camp. I don't think, certainly in Japan, I got a sense there was a real tension around the group the whole way through. They didn't seem to be enjoying themselves. I think this group will will be able to enjoy themselves in tour, uh, on tour, in tour, where their World Cup base will be. Um, Farrell has created that. I think that that's something he's done very well. And I, I think that can be underestimated, but actually just them all being you know, fairly relaxing each other's company and not sweating the small stuff about whether the team's coming out in, a, in the in the end though on a Thursday is is like, you know, that's that stuff did, did I think feed into the the tension of the whole thing in previous World Cups. But I don't think you can sack I think you risk putting so much on that Scotland game. I think you risk losing momentum. I think you it says doesn't say great things about your mindset that you'd rest key players in such a big game. Um I like do you? I mean, Ireland rested Johnny Sexton against Japan at the last World Cup, and how did that go? You know, like you can't, you, you can't legislate for. I think you got to go into that game with your strongest team, and I think you because you have a two week gap after before you play against Scotland. I I don't think the risk is is that high in playing your strongest team either. I would agree with Rod. I think you go with your strongest team, especially having that week off, which is different to World Cup pass. I think gives you the leeway to play your strongest team, and then against Scotland if need be, because you have a quarterfinal the following weekend against potentially New Zealand or France. That could be the interesting one where they might hedge their bets against Scotland and think they might have enough to get over the line with potentially a mixed team. But this is really far in the future. We're, we're talking team selections now. There's a lot of games to go between now and then. Uh, Rudd, the Razzie Erasmus piece of it, I know you were writing about it um, in today's paper, and I know you kind of tweeted about it at the time and kind of drew a lot of people's attention to it. It's another kind of page in his long history of kind of calling out officials in certain ways like what 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 do you make of it i always kind of put it in in an, an irish perspective and think like imagine if andy farrell went on twitter after a game and was like we would just be all we would be perplexed we'd be embarrassed i think it's fair to say if an ireland head coach was behaving like that you know what do you make of it yeah you're completely right i've actually I hadn't really put myself in that, you know, what would I, you know, how would you report it? How would you analyze it if it was the Irish coach who he was whinging and moaning about refereeing decisions? But like, like the, the, there's a couple of bits to it. I mean, I, uh, Razi Erasmus is a complex figure and he is a charismatic man. He holds a room. The the, the day he did a press conference uh, after Anthony Foley died, like his presence and his the way he handled that whole situation, I, I admired him so much that week because that was such a difficult thing to do. The way he coached Munster to the Heineken Cup semi-final that year on the Pro 12 final his first season was so impressive. Yeah. Uh, and then he left him in the lurch and went back to South Africa and left him with Gerbrand Gobbler and all that controversy as well, having signed them. And then he goes back to South Africa and he leads them in 18 months to a World Cup title. And and, and that night he, he comes into the press conference and he's given the most incredible uh, speech about pressure. And then he release, starts releasing these videos in the aftermath of, you know, from that Chasing the Sun documentary where he's bringing you into the room where he's talking to the team and building the team and he's, you know, he's 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 self-aware and he's talking about the mistakes he made and he's clearly bonding with the players and that's really impressive. And this social, and you kind of, you know, he, he builds a social media following on that, on the back of that and people kind of gravitate towards him and everyone thinks it's wonderful. And then in the Lions story, just like he turned into Donald Trump and it, it's, it's incredible. Like it, it, the way he uses his social media now the, the tweet he put out on, I presume most people that are, that are listening have seen it at this stage, but to give that kind of ingratiating, oh, the Irish rugby crowd really know their stuff and, you know, it was a great game and great two great sets of fans, but here's the here's the referee effing up the whole thing and this is why you won. Like, firstly, you didn't pick a 10 who could kick the ball. 
So that's on you. Put a video up about that. Your, you know, your your second rows. Well, sorry, Etzebet can obviously pass because that offload he played at the end of the game was unbelievable. But you burned about four off overlaps when the game was still in the balance, and you just took contact. Right, coach your team had to pass the ball, and like there's loads of things that are in your control. Your your whole job is to take the referee out of it, and not go on car every coach comes out of a game annoyed with something the referee has done and there are channels and like you know josh Smith used to i send, didn't see the colby uh the colby incident the colby, in yeah and even the neck roll in the video itself very lucky, like. like that these are like every incident every rook there's an incident and you could go through i mean there's loads of people that do twitter's really boring after a game with loads of people clipping up incidents various incidents and, and he's emboldening south african twitter and social media is the worst because he has emboldened these people and he's given them like he was, you know, he, inter- he interacts with them. He makes them feel like that, that their complaints about referees are part of this whole thing. There's like, I woke up on Sunday morning. There was a five minute YouTube video of all the things that Amish Kelly had done wrong on, on Saturday. I'm like, God, have you nothing better to do with your time? You know, this, this like, that's not a sport. sport he's, he's getting paid through that in fairness. <laughs> no, that's not but from Razzie. That's, that's Twitter. From, that's some fan, like yeah, he, like he's put like he he's oh the sorry, some fan, sorry, this is some fan, but, accounts. Yeah, this is it. But like, <laughs> the, like the, the director of rugby for South Africa should be better than some fella on Twitter. Like yeah. he he, he yeah. has he can ring Joel Judge or whoever the head of referees is now. He can talk to Amish Kelly. He can you know he has a platform. He can go into a press conference and talk to the world's media about it. You know now he thinks he's obviously less traditional than Adam. He's burning us as well, and he's going straight to the the thing. And that's not what I have a problem with. I just think. He's if everyone did it, as you say, Will, if Andy Farrell was doing this and Eddie Jones, who has a terrible reputation but doesn't go this far, was doing this, or you know, whoever else, you know, Ian Foster, if everyone was just throwing out these videos, going, Look, no one like respect is supposed to be one of the things that this game is built on. I mean, I think that's been undermined in the last couple of years, but no one's undermined it more than Razzie Erasmus. And he's like, This guy, Amish Kelly, has done, I think, six, six to ten test matches. This was the biggest game of his career, and now. Like, because he's obviously aware of this. People are sending it to him. Um, so that's undermining him going into other games. But I don't think he's going to do himself any favours with the other referees. I don't think Wayne Barnes is looking at this going, I'm afraid of Razzie Rasmus. He's going to want to get South Africa games. And long term, I don't see a future in it. Like, And to try and pretend that the world's most powerful rugby nation have won three World Cups and have the greatest reservoir of talent known to man are somehow the victims of a global world rugby conspiracy it's just ridiculous stuff. It doesn't hold water and it doesn't do him any credit. Yeah, Luke, well, you know, what's your view on it? Because in some ways it's almost like the medium is kind of the difference because obviously there's been loads of times in the past that coaches have come out and they've been critical of referees and their decisions. But I think it's just, I suppose, it's just the kind of the nature of how he's doing it is what's kind of bizarre and what's kind of grabbing a lot of attention. And as Rudd said, in the social media world we live in, it gets a lot of traction, more traction probably than it would if he just kind of had a throwaway line in a press conference. Look, it's very disappointing. I think they need to probably stamp this out. Um, I don't know whether it's kind of in the ban territory, but it's like it's getting there. I think, you know, um, I, I think it's unhelpful. I think the, the channels he should be going through for this uh, should be through the referees. Um, and I think also to the referee himself. I think people would always like to have feedback. Um, you know, what I would say is that job is like I, I found myself really railing against the referees a lot. And I'm trying to stop myself because I think that it's such a difficult job. Like if you look at how hotly contested those rooks, rooks were and all the contact areas throughout the game, like bodies were flying everywhere. The commitment levels were off the charts, I think. And and uh, I, I actually thought he did a pretty good job. Now I think on balance, Ireland probably did, you know, a little bit better out of him maybe. Um, 
and I haven't totted anything up or anything like that. I just feel like maybe that was my impression after the game. Um, but I think, you know, like a team at home is generally going to get one or two of those. Like he's experienced enough to know that. And, um, you know, what I would say is from an Irish perspective, I was quite pleased because I think it distracts from the real issues um, that that kind of South Africa experienced uh, on the day and things that they need to fix for, you know, before they play Ireland the next time. Um, uh, you know, if he's focusing on the referee, something that you can't control, I don't think, Um because I think most referees go into it thinking they're not going to be popular anyway. Uh, so I would say most of them will kind of nearly say, well, screw that. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be pushed around by someone like Rassi Erasmus. Uh, I need to do my job. And I'm sure that's what the head of the referees will be doing, provided it's obviously within the rule set. So um, I think that um, it'll end up being unhelpful for them. It'll distract from the key issues for, for South Africa. And um, I think it doesn't help a, a guy like a young referee from a country that's kind of outside the, 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 the normal countries where you're trying to be like you're trying to get someone like that more involved, give them exposure to the bigger stages, give them a bit of give those countries a bit of a lift where they come from. And, um, you know, to be attacking someone after the game like that, I think is, is, is very unhelpful, particularly when like, look, yeah, it was a miss. But he didn't cover the Colby issue, I think, either. So to my mind, that just screams of someone who's making an emotional decision and um you know, not taking a second to think about it. He seems to be very, very emotional. And look, there's good and bad with that, but I think in this case, it's it's, it's turned out bad, you know, and I think he needs to uh, he needs to rein that stuff in. I think it's not helpful to him or the team. Just checked. It's, uh, it is Wayne Barnes who's in charge of South Africa France on Saturday night, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how it went down with him. Yeah, set up to be an absolute cracker in Paris. Um, Rudd, in terms of the Fiji game and who might play and in terms of the A game as well, and who will kind of play their way out of contention. Like, what did you make of how that game went? There's so many top prospects on show. Guys, we talk a lot about on this show about could they feature in a year's time? Could they feature in the Six Nations? Pretty much no one. Maybe Brad Jack Crowley, one or two others potentially. Max Deegan, who did, who kind of emerged with credit. I was actually, although New Zealand were obviously really, really good, I was kind of taken aback by how poor some of these really big prospects were. I think Jimmy O'Brien showed on Saturday the value of playing with the first team and being, if, if you're a new guy, uh, being dropped in with all the all the heavy hitters, you can look very, very good. Whereas if you throw together the best of the rest for a Friday night game in the same week as a, as a full international, that can be quite difficult to do, especially one would imagine they didn't get a lot of time to actually do their stuff last week. I presume they were South Africa in training most of last week, preparing the, the, the first team for their game on Saturday. Um, that be, and also, New Zealand came with a really good team and with an attitude of absolute hate in their hearts. Like they came over with the summers, all of the injustices they felt from last July, um, and also like the, the that's the you know they, they picked a more experienced, old fashioned A team of players who I think were are you know a lot of them are closer to probably breaking through the All Blacks maybe, um, and they they some of them looked like they should be in the all-back setup really so um it was a couple of factors at play but then yeah the Irish guys didn't didn't perform and they didn't really show any um reaction to that um kind of aggression that New Zealand showed they kind of they turned up for an emerging Ireland game and New Zealand turned up for a test match and it, it kind of um it was over by 20 25 minutes in it, was, it wasn't a contest anymore and it was some it was like something from the early 90s really it was it was old-fashioned in its one-sidedness so yeah, it was damaging. I mean, Gavin Coombs has dropped out of the whole squad altogether. Like, you know, and he started both of those um, Merry games last summer. And, you know, Max Deegan and Scott Penny have been retained. I know maybe he's been released to play for Munster against South Africa on, on Thursday night. And that's the thinking there. But 
you know, you, you kind of want to be in the Ireland setup if you want to go to the World Cup and he can be so good for Munster. That's a big blow for him. Who came out of it with any credit? I think, well, Jack Crowley um, looked good, but also the fact that Kieran Frawley got injured means that he moves up one and, and could make his debut off the bench on, on Saturday, potentially. Um, and others, you know, Keane Prendergast was okay. I thought Deegan was good off the bench and, and Deegan... Deegan's biggest problem is the fact that he's third choice at Leinster and, and you know, he, he struggles to get in there, but he is a quality player and and if he gets a run, I think he could he could be a bit of a I hate the word bolter, but he could he could potentially give himself get himself into that frame. Um I think it's look even by the media they did did today, like it looks like the bench will start. The bench from last Saturday will start against Fiji, plus um one or two maybe survivors from last week, plus then into the kind of the the A side from 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 the weekend as well. So I'd like I'd like to see Stockdale get get involved. I'd like to see Stockdale get get sixty to, to eighty minutes and see what he can do. Get him back into into the frame. Um, you know they sent James Hume back as well, which is another one which is which was a bit of a surprise because he's been very close to it in the last while. But it looks like it's going to come from McCluskey, Ringrose, and, and Henshaw again because Henshaw and McCluskey being past fit. So it's going to be an interesting selection. You presume Carberry's going to start, which is the you know the one I think everyone's going to be looking at. Um, so yeah, team is on Thursday, and it'll be it's one of those that's going to be quite hard to predict. I'd go in today's paper, but I'm not. I wouldn't have a huge amount of confidence that I got that many of them right. Yeah, Deegan is an interesting one. He he played Andy Farrell's first game against Scotland, so it shows how highly he was rated that in his first opportunity to pick a selection, uh, he he had Deegan on the bench for his debut. Luke, anyone in particular you'd like to see against Fiji? I know, like as Rud mentioned there, it, it's likely to be mostly the guys who were involved last weekend, but anyone from that A-side or the extended squad who you think deserves a run? I'd like to see Jimmy Jimmy O'Brien go again. I think you know he he was very impressive, and uh, you know Hugo Keenan could probably do a game time. Uh, even though he was excellent, he slotted right back, and I was really impressed with him. Uh, certainly, like look, interestingly, I'd probably go with Balakoon again, um, provided he's fit. I just don't know if he is. He is he he's he's fit and all that, isn't he? Yeah. So I think I, I he'd be very he'd be, it'd be good to see him. Um, and I'd probably hold Henshaw off if McCluskey's fit as well. I would go go McCluskey again, give him another shot, and bring Henshaw back in for Australia. Um, I probably have one eye on the Six Nations at this point, and I'm kind of thinking World Cup too. Uh, so I definitely have Crowley in, and I'd have Crowley in for um, maybe 30 minutes uh, of that second half. I think he deserves a shot. I think um, he's going to fall into the same. He has the same issues as Deegan will have, is that he's you know second or third choice in in, in Munster. Now that may change. Um, you know, but I think they'll have back three options coming back into their squad over the next couple of weeks, and his opportunities are going to be more restricted to that kind of 10 12 role. Um, but geez, yeah, like I, I just I really like the look of him, he looks like a good tackler, he's a good runner, makes good decisions. Um, you know, I think he's the kind of guy who would really benefit playing with the better players around him, like particularly as a 10, it just makes a massive difference when people are in better positions and are probably calmer. You know, you're not trying to impress the coach as much, you're just trying to actually play the game. Um, so yeah, those guys. Look, Deegan's been very unlucky with injuries at different times. I think he's loads of. He's one of those guys, a bit like kind of like. I'd probably put him in the frawley category. Like the the talent is certainly there. You can see he's got the size to play. He's got the physical ability uh, to play international rugby. Just whether he gets game time. So he's going to have those issues all the way through. Um, so yeah, they're they're probably the guys I, that I'm thinking most of as well. I wish there was someone new to Rhodes, but like the game was disappointing. Will I think, you know, I would agree with most of Rhodes' points. I think, but at the same time, New Zealand do did have that that match the next day as well. So they can't have been unbelievably well prepared either. Look, they did have more experienced names in there, but um, you still think an Irish team at home it should be 
it should have been tighter, I think, and they'd be disappointed with that. Um, so, um, yeah, not too many names sh- shown, unfortunately, out of that one. You were kind of hoping to see a few guys and say, oh, that's interesting, you know, but uh, that wasn't that wasn't the, the case, sadly. Jer- Jeremy Lockman's one, I think, you know, in a in a position of of weakness, uh, which is loose head, I think Lockman is someone who's kind of coming coming slowly but surely to the fore, and he was quite good on Friday. He didn't certainly didn't himself, let himself down, and uh, you know, Keen Healy did media today, so it looks like he's going to start. Which you know, like I, I, I'm a bit wary of because I think you know what, what more do we need to know about Keen Healy? And also, he's got a huge mileage on the clock, so sit him out this week and bring him back next week, and 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 find out something about someone else. It, it will be my look view on that but it looks like Healy's going to start so um I think Lockman might make his debut off the bench next week Mike Lowry's another that you know he didn't have a great game against the the, the A side but he's going great guns for for Ulster and I think he's worth another look if Keenan didn't train today so if, if he's kind of you know maybe the, the high volume work rate of, the, of last weekend means that the, they might even rest all 15 players you'd ever know so he was next in line for that fullback jersey um last season if he's still next in line you know maybe that's a good way of getting him back into it but um yeah it's it's, hard, it's a real yeah, hard one Jimmy to, to O'Brien pick. might be ahead of him but that's not yeah probably what do you yeah, think Rhodes, you? yeah probably and like you could pick pick I suppose the only value with going with um the team I picked was Larry uh Malakoon on the right and Stockdale on the left because you've got an Ulster combination and then you bring Jimmy O'Brien on for the last 20 minutes half an hour because he covers the, pretty much the entire back line but yeah he's he's going great Jimmy O'Brien he's a class player and he he deserves to pass. Really. Was gorgeous, wasn't it? The pass yeah. was really like I loved. Keen, do you know what I loved about it? People are when they are in that space. Even the bit about Keenan, um, it's a real nice thing for younger players. If you watch that, he just straightens slightly and gives it. He doesn't actually have to draw anyone. He knows that when the ball goes to to uh, to uh, into Jimmy O'Brien's hands, that Jimmy can throw the pass. But then Jimmy just needs to straighten. Most people would try and they're obsessed with trying to fix someone once they get into big open spaces where sometimes the ball actually does it. You don't actually have to fix anyone. It was over. Beautiful bit of play by Keenan, but the pass by O'Brien. I mean, the skills, like that was a that was a 15-meter pass. He looked like a guy who had been playing, who played 40 or 50 test matches. It looked like, like Drico throwing the ball out there, just nice and nonchalant. It was it was a brilliant, brilliant pass. Um, brilliant play by Keenan too. But I, I, I would be rewarding him. I think like he looks like a guy who, like he stepped up really well, I thought. I, I'd be surprised. I, I Sorry, Maybe I'm cutting across. I just I was interested to get your opinion if you thought Larry deserves a shot ahead of O'Brien. But, Not really. Both like, kind of I, I, I think they're both. I think they. You know. I, I think. Yeah, you're right. O'Brien's probably ahead of him because he got picked last weekend and because he came on and did really well. Um, I'd like to see Larry in there because I really like what he can do and I think I think he has something to offer in that McKenzie style that we saw on Friday night. I know McKenzie was starting at ten, but like even Larry has that. I know O'Brien has played 10 for Leinster. I think Larry would be a better option in that role. I mean, Matt Hansen's played a bit of 10 and, and popped up a first receiver an awful lot at the weekend. He's like, he's an unbelievable player. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of those guys will be back in for the Australia game. It's just kind of who they need to see, who who deserves it. But yeah, like O'Brien merits the inclusion somewhere. Like he, they could play him at 13 pretty comfortably based on last weekend. Just to mention Hugo Keenan as well, Lou touched on him there, like to come in from the call, having not played a minute, he was as good as he always is, so consistent, so solid, only for a flag before the game, he's the fittest guy in the squad, you know, I'm confident he can hit the ground running, and to be fair, he really repaid him, likewise, James Gibson Park, having not played a minute, they were two of the best performers on the day, which is a testament, I suppose, to their preparation levels, and how we were able to get up to speed without actually playing a minute. Uh, in terms of any other business from the weekend, Luke, some interesting results, like England-Argentina, probably the standout result, France-Wales, the standout, or France-Australia, rather, the standout game, but it's funny, you know, we're looking through a prism of a World Cup a lot 
in this show and in Irish rugby. Eddie Jones is, is kind of using it as an excuse for every defeat he's had, and he's had a lot in the last two years. Oh, it's the World Cup, it's the World Cup, it's the World Cup. It's kind of coming at it from a different angle than what we're looking at it at, but it must be very frustrating for England fans to see another defeat after like two Six Nations in a row with only winning two out of five, and then you lose your first game at home to Argentina. Yeah, I, I think he's riding his luck. I, I don't know whether he's got naked photos of someone in the RFU because uh, no one seems to be questioning him about anything. Um, you know, it's uh, you know people seem to be afraid of him or something like that. Um, and um, yeah, I think he's getting away with murder. I think they might have. I, I think he might have peaked maybe with this team, and I think he might be. I think he might be tinkering around. He might have tinkered around too much. Now, look, England have great resources, you know, and look, there's no doubt about it. Like the guy has. He, historically, he, you know, he has the the, the pedigree, um, and he look. We know he's a great coach, but sometimes, you know, coaches and teams they just don't fit, or the timing isn't right, or you know, it's too, you know, they, you know, different things move at different paces. And I, I'm not sure he's the right guy for them at this point. And I actually think, um, you know, I, I think they're they look like a team that's struggling a bit, you know. So uh, delighted to see that result. Um, and interesting to see how long he gets away with it. Uh, I think they have to stick with him now. It's probably too late. Um, to change before the World Cup, um, I thought the highlight was the the certainly the the France Australia one. I mean, what a way to finish by France! I mean, whoa, uh, what a game! But like, really interesting to see Australia compete so well. Now, I don't know if that's because the Southern Hemisphere teams have kind of are more battle hardened. You know, they're kind of coming up, having played a championship and and that. And I don't know if it's it's for that reason, and maybe that's why Australia are closer, and maybe the Northern Hemisphere teams are a little bit behind in the first game. You always like to see them play the bigger teams in two and three. You know, of the three November internationals generally, uh, just so they have kind of a warm up. Um, but um, yeah, certainly like there's it, it's it looks tight, doesn't it? Coming into a World Cup. I mean, there's lots of teams that look like they're they're playing well. Um, some that aren't playing so well, but you think will improve. And I think it's going to be really intriguing over the next year to see, you know, who jumps forward, who makes the improvements at the different junctures. And um, you know, come back to that England one. They look like a team that's they're they're just not having they're having trouble figuring out their identity. I think at the moment, and they have a few guys who Jones is not picking that have traditionally been the guys. And um, you know, that's really difficult for a team to to. Um, you know, to, to produce really when, when they're not certain about selections and the way they want to play. And I think they're getting another defence coach after this window as well because uh, their defence coach is going back no to No one seems league. to be able to stick him. Yeah, so another a third defence coach in two years. You know, and interestingly, you know, we were talking about Ireland South Africa and the World Cup ramifications. England and Argentina is there for, is the first pool game in that pool. It'll probably decide who tops it. So a psychological win for Michael Chaka, his first ever win over Eddie Jones as well as a head coach. And he lost seven in a row when he was the Australia coach and Eddie was over England. Rudd, you know, what from the weekend, you know, piqued your interest from, from what we were discussing there or anything else? I know the England thing is fascinating, isn't it? Because they, they've, I mean, it's all well and good us talking about the World Cup for four years, but it's pretty boring when the head coach does it and, and, and tries to dismiss everything, even the achievements as this is all part of a four-year plan. I don't think it's worked. I think it's it's a it's a lesson in how not to approach a World Cup cycle. Like Ireland, they're talking about the World Cup, but they're also trying to live in the moment and trying to win things along the way. And they they, they see value in Grand Slams and Six Nations. Whereas Jones, I, I, the tickets for Twickenham are really expensive, and people who go to those games have invested an awful lot of time, effort, and money into going along to them. And for them to be told that it actually doesn't matter what you've just shelled out. You know, five hundred pounds when you factor in petrol and, and all the other stuff, uh, hotel rooms and your clients. beer and everything, yeah. clients, all, all 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 of that stuff. 
you know that that's a dangerous game to play. Like I've said, I've heard the phrase "jam tomorrow" more on English podcasts than I'd ever heard in my life before this World Cup cycle. And the thing about it is that England have such unbelievable players and such unbelievable resources. And Jones is a clever enough coach that I think he, with a good preseason before a World Cup, he and a couple of warm up games, he could pull together a very competitive side. They've got a handy side of the draw, um, and they could get to a semi final final and even win the thing. And I, I, I don't think they had to sacrifice these four years to get to that point. I think they could have won games along the way. So it's a very strange, um, it's like an experiment that he's carrying out. Uh, yeah, a couple of publications have printed over the years, the, the amount of assistance and, and media staff. Like every time I dial into an England call for New Six Nations, it's a whole new staff uh, involved. Even the, the assistant coaches have changed. It's just, it's remarkable how he's gone about it. There's no continuity. He doesn't seem to crave continuity in that way. He does on the pitch. But uh, I still think that they'll have a good World Cup because they're in, they've so- they're on the soft side of the draw, and you know that's 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 nice for him to have. He can do what he wants, really, and and he clearly has very indulgent employers who are happy to kind of wave him through to that point. Whereas um, I think the demands in other unions are, are much higher, and like like the IRFU were charging between one hundred twenty five and one hundred sixty five euro a ticket for Saturday's game. They want people to go away wanting to buy tickets for the Six Nations next year. That's the model, you know. So I. If the, I suppose if the debenture holders of Twickenham start saying they're not going to renew their tickets, maybe that's when people will start holding Eddie Jones to account. But until that point, uh, we might not see it. Yeah, and there's been so much chopping and changing, as Lucas said, and he's constantly saying that, like, b- building this style of play. But they've, I, I, I think it's more of an excuse for their poor defeats and poor performances. It doesn't look to me like they've had, like, a, a massive transformation. It looks to me they're just playing poorly and have been for two years, to be honest. Yeah, well, they had that guy Scott Wisemantle, who is the Australia Australian attack guru, and he was in for the last World Cup, and then he left after the World Cup, and they haven't been the same team since he's gone. Um, he seemed to be the brains behind the kind of the the, the brand that they brought to that World Cup, and they were so impressive. And um, the Saracens thing obviously damaged them at the start of the cycle, but really you can't hold on to that excuse now. The Premiership, I think, what kills them is the fact that the Premiership is entertaining. You know that that the, the law, like Marcus Smith, is a different player when he's wearing a white jersey. I know Test matches are tighter but like even like Ireland are playing with a pretty exciting um attacking brand even South Africa showed a bit of attack in the last 20 minutes on Saturday and England just seemed to be so stunted and the atmosphere there seemed to be really poor over there you know at the game as well um so it just doesn't seem like there's a great mood music around it yeah like to have the resources and the players to go and win a Six Nations and win a World Cup if they can pull it together but right now and like they've got the All Blacks to come in this window and the Springboks, so he's got time. He's got a window to turn around. Like if they beat the All Blacks at the end of this, no one will be remembering Argentina, and they have a team that can can beat anyone. So there's a there's a bit of a contradiction there. But yeah, I think the idea that you can just phone in the entire cycle and turn up at the World Cup that shouldn't be allowed to hold water. Well, it was a great opening weekend of autumn Test rugby, and we got plenty of great games to look forward to over the next coming weeks. But for the moment, Rod Luke, thanks so much for joining me. We will be back next week with another Left Wing Podcast. You can subscribe to us on Spotify, iTunes, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.